You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your rangefinder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and I am pumped. Season has opened up. We've had some uh, pretty cool hunts already to date, so um, it's been it's been fun. Um, temperature's been pretty nice, pretty nice. We've seen a lot of deer, um, but we'll be sharing some of those um, observations with you guys here soon. But today, today's podcast is with Kip Adams of the QDMA. And um, we have had Kip on here many, many times before. Um, He has shared um, a lot of knowledge, dropped some truth bombs on people, but um, we wouldn't expect anything less than today. And and he certainly delivers from quality information. But um, most importantly, he talks personally about deer herd dynamics on his personal property in north central Pennsylvania. So he's extremely open, has... Years and years and years of data of adult sex ratios, of um, buck to doe ratios, fawn recruitment through not only trail camera surveys, but also hunter observations. So this is all stuff that every single one of us can do and gather the same information to make wise management, herd management decisions in the field. So guys, we've been talking about herd management for for many weeks now, and uh, this week isn't going to be anything less. We've got to drive this home because there's um, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of misconceptions about what an actual balanced herd will look like, um, how it it, uh, develops and, and Maybe, maybe it's not all about um, buck-to-doe ratios, and it's a lot about age structure within that herd. You'll hear more about that later on, but certainly appreciate Kip's openness. So before we get into that podcast, we got to thank Niangua Coffee for making this podcast possible. I'm sipping on some coffee this earlier morning and uh, podcasting, and it is a fantastic coffee. So be sure to check out our good friends at nianguacoffee.com. Check them out. Um, give them some support. Try their roasts. Um, perfect time to have those early morning drives to the tree stand. What better to enjoy it with a nice cup of coffee from Niangua. So guys, I hope you guys sit back, enjoy this podcast, get your pen and paper ready because you're going to need it. There's going to be a lot of numbers thrown at you, but real life numbers. These aren't made up. This is scientific data. Don't, don't get scared away by scientific data. This is just 100% obtainable by everyone listening to the podcast right now. Super easy way to get this information um, because it's going to ultimately make your 
hunting better, to allow you to balance your herd um, within the neighborhood way better, and just learn from what the deer are telling you. Who's out there? Who's not out there? What age structures? God, this is so, so, so important. That's, again, why we're just um, continuing to to discuss herd management. So we hope you guys enjoy the podcast, but uh, here we go. Here's Kip Adams from QDMA. All righty, Kip, are you there? I'm here. Man, appreciate you coming on the podcast. This is, I don't know what number it is for you to be able to uh, come on the podcast, but you're always gracious with your time, and we certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time today because you're a busy, busy guy. I know you're getting ready to go on a hunt with your son, too, so certainly appreciate your time today. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. Always, always good to talk to you guys, and uh, so uh, you guys uh, help us out a pile as well, so it's nice to return the favor, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, I like you guys, so it's cool to just catch up anyway. That's right, that's right, and, and especially when we're talking deer. That's just fun. For sure. We can have a good time talking fishing or turkeys or anything else, but uh, deer is definitely uh, at the top of that fun list. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, here on the podcast the last few weeks, we have been probably beating a dead horse a little bit, but but really focusing in on overall herd management um, and really trying to break that down as hunting season has been opening up. Um, it's just a super important topic that I think a lot of times can get glazed over with the with the opportunity to harvest bucks like those those antlers like they grab our attention but i think at, at many times we quickly forget about what the end goal is for hunting season we talk routinely about habitat management for many of the months out of the year but but there's another type of management that we have the opportunity to go into during hunting season and um obviously you you are extremely knowledgeable let's say on QDM and the practices there, but not only are you out there teaching them, you're implementing them yourself on your personal property, and you are being extremely gracious to allow us to talk about the details of your property, the details of the herd. You've shared numbers with me, and um, we're going to go through that as to like what it is you guys are doing on the property, what you're seeing, how you're getting this data, this data um, and making your suggestions on harvest throughout the year. So I certainly appreciate that. Oh, that sounds good. Uh, I, I enjoy collecting uh, data on deer. Uh, it's certainly made our hunting a whole lot better over the years, you know, doing this and then using it. So uh, I'm glad to do it, and I'm glad to share it with others to, to help make their hunting a little better too. Absolutely. So if you will, real quick, let's just break down this the bare bones of QDM and, and, and the, the principles that you're looking for in managing um, to have a, a successful deer herd on a property what does that look like sure you know a lot of folks think of qdm as, as just bucks or you know just older bucks uh, but the reality of it is qdm has four cornerstones uh, and those include herd management habitat management hunter management and herd monitoring and if you really want to enhance your hunting you, you have to work on all four of those you can't just work mm-hmm. on one or two of them so uh the the herd management part um, certainly involves, you know, the buck end, and that's often what gets people most excited. You know, they want bigger bucks and older bucks. and But the, the biggest part of herd management is, is making sure that you have uh, the right number of deer for what the habitat can support. And that, and that is accomplished by harvesting the, the right number of does each year. 
So, uh, you know, in some cases uh, that may be very small or, or maybe even none. Um, but in a lot of cases that involves some, and sometimes it even involves a lot. So, you know, we, the herd management cornerstone there um, requires herd monitoring and camera surveys or some other survey technique, you know, to, to get some type of measure of the numbers of deer used in a place, because then it allows you to figure out, you know, how many does should you shoot? You know, is it one or two or, or five or 10 uh, so that you, you have the right number of deer because there's nothing that will, uh, you know, reduce a, a buck's opportunity to, to, you know, get a heavy body or a heavy set of antlers, like having too many deer there so that they just simply aren't getting enough to eat. Yeah. So, for sure. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with, with all of that and really just summed up very quickly what it is we've been talking about for, for many weeks now and, and did a fantastic job with that. But at the end of the day, essentially, it's like most people are in a situation where they want successful observations. Like when they're hunting, they want to be able to see a good number of deer. But I think that, that fine line of I want to see multiples in the set and then seeing 15 to 20 and now you're over your your property's carrying capacity it's like how do how do you ride that line and and again you've got data from 2009 here on the spreadsheet that you shared with me of all the trail camera survey that you have done on the property so i'll let you kind of talk a little bit about one how that is conducted but then two over the course of years what you've seen with the property maybe does that relate to some of the habitat um changes that that you guys have implemented can you see that then on what it is um the the data basically as you've changed the property over the years yeah absolutely and and i started doing these annual uh, summer camera surveys in 2005 mm-hmm. um so this was our 16th year in a row we just wow. completed it so we have a really good feel for you know what's going on with the deer herd whether that means the deer herd is increasing or decreasing um and the number of does that we pick to shoot each year comes straight from this camera survey i i literally calculate a target antlerless harvest before our season, uh, I communicate that with everybody that's going to hunt our property. So I tell them, hey, here's how many uh, does we're going to take. And then uh, if we hit that, then you know we stop shooting does because that, that is our biological plan going into the season. Now, the nice thing about that is uh, we have a plan. So we're not basing it on, ooh, I'm just not seeing many deer, so I probably shouldn't shoot any extra does. You know how that goes. Uh, season's over, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. deer are coming out your ears. Mm-hmm. So so way back, uh, we started doing these summer surveys to give us an idea of the number of deer on the place. Now, this is not an exact number, so the, the numbers that we estimate may or may not be exact, but I'll sure. tell you this, uh, they're awfully close. You know, right. it's using the data that has been, uh, you know, performed by scientists, you know, with, with marked populations of deer to, to come up with a really good technique. Uh, the nice thing is, is it's simple, you know, for, for two weeks during the, the summer, you know, we we have actual camera stations on our property. We use a, a camera for every hundred acres, um, survey the number of deer coming into these. Um, we can't tell the differences between the, the, the does and fawns, but you can tell the differences in all the bucks by using, you know, antlers, uh, body characteristics, torn ears, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So from that, um, there's a, there's a very simple technique that you can use then to estimate how many different bucks, does and fawns are, are used in a place. So, uh, it is a great measure of that 
So though we have done over the years then, you know, just knowing how many deer are there doesn't help you much as a deer manager. What you need to do is take a look at the impact of those deer on the habitat or on the landscape. So if you're not doing anything to enhance habitat, you can have a very small number of deer that are in poor quality because there's just, you know, more than what food is being produced. So as we work hard to enhance habitat, what I do is I look at what our survey shows us for numbers of deer, but then I actually look and see what the, the plants are telling me, you know, are my food plots yeah. browsed right to the ground? You know, when we cut something, am I able to get good regeneration in the forest? So the, the camera survey gives me a really good measure of numbers of deer as well as sex ratios and age structures. But we combine that with, you know, just observing what the habitat is showing to let me know, do I think I have more deer than I should? or not. And then from that, I, I choose how many does that we're going to shoot each year to try to maintain things in a really healthy balance. Yeah, that that's that's awesome. And, and I think it's probably just encouraging um, to see, go back and like, look at where, where you kind of started and, and watch that progression um, of the herd and the changes that you've seen over the course of 16 years. I mean, you know, you can, you can obviously observe habitat changes drastically. You know, if, if you have a clear cut, wow, you can see that. If you have a prescribed fire, wow, you can easily see the, the effects and the results of that. Same thing with the food plot. But these numbers actually give you how the herd is responding to all those other things that we're doing on a property. And it's not just, you know, you see a property listing or a couple of the bucks over the course of 10 years that are harvested on property, but but there's so many other factors that go into those couple of deer that are harvested. You know, there's should be a ton of does harvested, but this kind of gives you like that insight into like that backdoor look at honestly how the whole ecosystem is kind of functioning when you get down to the nitty gritty of data and real numbers of a herd occupying a landscape. No, that's for sure. And the, the one thing that's extremely helpful um, that I combine with this, and I encourage everybody to do during the hunting season, is is to do an observation survey. Oh, that's and, so uh, easy. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I make everybody that hunts out of our camp. And, and there's a bunch of people, you know, we love to share our land with family and friends. I make every single person just keep track each day they hunt of how many hours they hunted and then yeah. the numbers of bucks, does, and, and fawns they saw. So, I have my camera data, so I know about how many deer are there. And then during those observation surveys, I get a measure of, you know, how many deer we see per hour, or it's actually the other way, how many hours it takes to see deer generally Mm -hmm. for some of the hunters anyway. Um, But from that, it lets us know, hey, you know, where do we end up with a very enjoyable hunting experience while we're still making sure the deer are very healthy? So those two things are, are very simple to do and uh man it, it has elevated our hunting tremendously since we started so with that those two different surveying techniques the observations in the field during hunting season versus the trail camera survey and i realize you know we're, we're looking at surveying late august september over um uh, feed bait sites right to get this data versus hunting observations but how how accurate um I want to say accurate, excuse me. How similar are the observations in those two studies when you compare them over the course of multiple years? Well, what we see is that the 
the camera survey did, and you're right. In Pennsylvania, you are allowed to, to feed deer. So, uh, or at least in my part of the state where mm-hmm. there's no CWD. Yep. So this is the only time of the year that I ever put food on the ground. Um, it's the two weeks late summer for this camera survey. Um, we get, you know, over the course of two weeks, you know, two to 3,000 pictures of deer at five different camera sites. So, you know, lots and lots of deer coming into this. So now there's a lot of states that can't, can't put bait on the ground mm-hmm. and do this. So fortunately, there's a couple universities that are looking at doing a non-baited camera surveys, you know, developing yep. a new methodology. And some of those research are, are just about to come out. Um, I'm excited for that because uh, as CWD continues to spread, there's just fewer and fewer people yeah. that can use this technique. But uh, anyway, this works really good for us. What we see once we get into the hunting season is, you know, we average, and this is everybody at our camp over the course of the entire season, um, we'll average seeing just under two deer per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so some will say, geez, you know, I don't, I don't want to go and sit a few hours to only see a handful of deer. Well, that means some sits you see none. Some sits you may see 10 or 20. Absolutely. But uh, the beauty of it is it's not just me or you know, my kids or somebody else that may be a good or may not be a good hunter. It's everybody. So that hunts. So some are good hunters, some aren't as good. So that gives us a very good measure of the actual sightability of deer. Mm-hmm. And then the cool thing is, since we do it every year, we can monitor changes. So, you know, hey, does it seem like the deer herd's going up? Well, the camera survey said yes. Oh, look at this. Our observation survey said yes, too. So it gives us a little, you know, extra confidence in the data we're collecting that, yeah, this is really what's going on. So I feel more comfortable than using the camera survey data to say we should shoot five does or 10 does or, you know, there was one year when we were trying to reduce our deer herd, you know, that literally we we tried to shoot over 30 adult does. Yeah. So, And and, and I think like the more that you can provide from like that angle, because how many, how many acres do you have? 500 or so? It's, it's 700. Okay, 700. So sure. there's there's 30 deer, 30 does specifically harvest off 700 acres. And I think that those numbers are like, people are trying to like apply themselves. Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm scared to shoot five deer. It's like, mm-hmm. here here's 30 deer being removed and you're probably stabilizing a herd at that point. And mm-hmm. I think that people just are, are tentative to shoot does because of that old if you a wives tale or, or, or thought process of well that's where my bucks come from I can't have bucks mm-hmm. if I shoot does right that's right and, and you know those real high harvest numbers you know that's when we knew there was more deer than there should be um, yeah. our, our neighbor our neighbors weren't shooting a lot of does so uh, you know most years we're in that 10 to 15 uh, doe range that we shoot so um, but that's because we've got our deer herd about where we need it we're yeah. not trying to reduce it anymore um, you know there have been years where we've had terrible fawn recruitment problems because of bears and mm-hmm. and, uh, and coyotes and you know maybe we took a few too many does the year before so there's been years that we've you know knocked our target harvest way down to, uh, even below 10 does um, you know to allow the herd to, to grow a little bit and you know the good thing is you know that's I'm very comfortable making those decisions because we have this data. Well, and I think that that's an extremely important point to make there's you just said sometimes you've killed up to 30 and sometimes you've killed under 10 and that's year to year changes. And, and and you can't just throw a blanket statement over hey, I'm going to harvest those going into season when 
with data, you can get and need to get pretty specific on what that is because those are the fluctuations, I think, in in a herd that most people don't observe and see. But if you just go into every season saying, okay, yep, we killed 15 last year, let's just kill 12 this year, and that's it, then you could be way off the mark of where you really should be to either stabilize or decrease whatever those changes were from year to year based on fawn recruitment success, uh, weather, all these different impacts, variables thrown into the mix. You just can't go into season again with the blanket, oh, well, let's just do 15 this year. It's got to be more scientific and data-driven than, than that to get and yield the results that you're looking for. Nope, that's right. So I'm looking at your some of your the 2020 camera survey, so stuff that was just done, completed, um, and looking more specific now at the total bucks and the percentage age class that um, they represent from the bucks in your total uh, harvest, oh, excuse me, in your total population. So year and a half old, you've got 38% um, of the total bucks are year and a half. 27% are two-and-a-half-year-olds, 19% are three-and-a-half-year-olds, 8% is four-and-a-half, and then five-and-a-half-plus is another 8%. So in total, 35% of the bucks surveyed were three-and-a-half and older. When you're looking at balancing age structures, um, is this exactly what you'd like to see, kind of that breakdown? Because really it looks like about you're dropping roughly 10% to until you're about four and a half years old of from one and a half, two and a half, three and a half and on. Is that, is that average what you see in a hunted population? Can you kind of, I guess, work through that um, from a scientific basis? Yeah. Um, what is here is something that's very attainable for anybody who, who wants to literally just protect yearling bucks and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and hunt. So we have at our camp, the rules are, the, uh, the adults want to shoot deer that are that are three and a half or older. And uh, so our rules are deer bucks got to be at least three and a half or have a, a minimum of a 16-inch inside spread. Uh, some of the guys will shoot every single three-year-old buck they see. Some won't. Some will pass a three and wait for a four or a five because they know there's some older deer there. Uh, kids shoot everything. Everything is they have a green light. Yeah. So, and we're very lucky. We have a pile of kids, you know, that, that hunt at our camp. Um, in any given year, five to eight or nine kids will be hunting there. So, you know, they can shoot yearlings, two-year-olds, anything they want. Some will, some won't. Mm-hmm. Some will say, you know, and I'll say I've had uh, kids out and say, here you go, go ahead. And they'll say, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> we, we see the pictures. We know what's here. So, oh, that's um, funny. But the numbers that we have are very attainable in, in a you know a whitetail situation um anybody can get that and actually what you know i've been with qdma 18 years now yeah prior to that i was new hampshire fishing games deer and bear biologist yep. and when i when i left the state of new hampshire the age structure that we see right here on us um, was very similar to, to new hampshire's statewide age structure and wow just you know so this is very attainable anybody can do this um i'll say as our this year the percentage of yearling bucks is usually a little higher than this Mm -hmm. 
Uh, um, and uh, we usually have a, a little higher percentage of those four and five year olds. So this year we had, a, for whatever reason, a lot of three year olds, or maybe I just misidentified or misaged them uh, when I was going through an assignment ages, so, which is entirely possible as well. But sure. the, the, the big picture of this is yeah, what we have here, Matt, um, this is absolutely attainable by anybody. And uh, boy, it sure, sure makes for some fun hunting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's important to to note that like in in wild free ranging populations that are hunted and and there's you know you have hunting pressure I'm sure all around you from from individuals um that may or may not share the same exact harvest criteria um that at the end of the day these numbers on improved habitat um and even again hunted populations are still able to get 35% of the bucks three and a half and older. And I think that should be very encouraging for people um, who are out there in, let's just say that I'm going to air quote the whole non big buck areas um, that just typically aren't harvesting, you know, the 160 class deer annually. These populations and, and the, and the dynamics from an age structure, like you're saying are hundred percent obtainable just by following simple QDM principles, letting some younger deer get to older age classes, and you still are allowing some individuals, youth, come to the property and harvest younger deer. Like, if if you wanted to, if you wanted to, I guess you could say, hey, no one's shooting anything younger than three and a half, you'd probably have a little bit more, but even with those in the harvest it's still 100% obtainable to get older age class deer. Oh, that's right. So, and if we restricted all those young ones, um, we would have maybe a few older ones, but wow, we would miss out on a lot of fun, a lot of good you know, teaching opportunities. So so we choose to, to you know, give the kids the green light. And, uh, and as you can see, we still have plenty of older deer uh, to chase around and, and photograph and shoot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think that's a, Oh, wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, bringing, as anyone knows who's following QDMA, it is bringing and recruiting hunters. And this is the perfect way to do that. But I think, again, that, that main point is you can still do that and still have great opportunities of harvesting the older age class deer in, in a given herd. So that's that's fantastic. Um, let's Let's kind of dive into the whole fawn recruitment side of things. And I know that you're in a... Um, in an area that's got many predators, you've got bears, you've got coyotes, and some of the bear population uh, has probably increased drastically since you guys have done the study. Um, so what is it that you're looking at year to year from a general fawn recruitment rate, um, and how and then is it important to be monitoring that specifically for people who are trying to do herd management in general? Mm-hmm. Well, the camera survey provides an opportunity to, to estimate fawn recruitment rate. And, and the fawn recruitment rate is the number of fawns on the ground per adult doe as you enter the hunting season. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a measure of the fawns that are born in the spring, so, but it's a measure that survived to be about six months old and you know, be there available for harvest on day one. So through the camera survey, you can do that. What we have found over the years, though, is for all of the things that a camera survey is really, really good at, for us, it does not do a very good job estimating our fawn recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, our fawn recruitment is always 
really low, which means we just don't get a lot of pictures of fawns during our camera survey. Right. And uh, there's some, you know, some populations um, you don't get a lot of fawns because of timing of the year. Sure. But with us, it shouldn't matter. You know, most of our fawns are on the ground by June 1st. Mm-hmm. We're not surveying until the late August. So, you know, those fawns are plenty old enough. They're traveling with their mothers every day. Yep. Um, we just don't get a lot. And uh, a few years ago, I think I figured out why, uh, you know, I thought it must be we were just not recruiting many fawns, you know, bears, coyotes, bobcats, everything else is eating them. And uh, one year uh, it was for a, a talk that I was given for QDMA. It was in the summer. I needed some pictures of some new fawns. So uh, I right. put some cameras out um, at some of the camera sites that we use for the survey. And I was getting lots of pictures of fawns. And in particular, there was a few does that I recognized bringing fawns to this camera every day. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, this is cool. You know, we're, we're going to get a lot more pictures of fawns during our camera survey this year. Well, I left the camera there. The survey starts. All of a sudden, no fawns. And I thought, dang it, you know, they, they must have got eaten. Yeah. Well, then I left, the, I left the camera up after our survey was done. And all of a sudden, I got those does and fawns again. Mm. And I started realizing what happened was those camera sites were also, we had minerals there. So yeah. does and birds bringing their fawns to the minerals. Our survey started, which means corn went on the ground, which means bears came to the sites. Yeah. And suddenly, I'm seeing those does that I could recognize, but no fawns. Well, then when the survey's done, no more corn, the mm-hmm. does and fawns, yeah, so bears aren't coming. Yeah. So anyway, I realized, I think it's because, and I have lots of pictures of bears and deer in the same photos during our survey. So it's not that they're keeping deer away or scaring them away. Those does just don't bring the fawns you know, yeah. when there's corn on the ground. So I think that for us, uh, our camera survey doesn't do a good job measuring fawn recruitment which is one more reason why we always do that observation survey I Definitely. told you about. Yeah. It's, you know, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, you're already there while you're hunting, but that the fawn recruitment rate from the observation survey, that is the best way to measure that. So we always estimate it from our camera surveys. We know it's going to be way low, mm-hmm. but then each fall when we're hunting, that's when we get the, the better estimate of the actual number of fawns that we're recruiting. So, And that's a much better measure then of how healthy our deer herd is and, and how heavy do we want to hit the antlerless side of it. Sure. And, and so I guess, you know, what we're looking at um, from, from the observation side of things, it, it's way easier to tell that during the hunting season. Some... I'd say most hunts, if you're hunting over a food plot, those are the first deer to walk in is, is the fawns. And, you know, you can get a really good estimation there um, over the course of many hunters that are in the, in the stand. I mean, I mean, how many hours do you think in the observation type surveys are logged each year by people observing what's actually on the property? Yeah, oh, we get uh, hundreds. Hundreds and so, hundreds of hours, yeah. 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 So over the course of the last uh, close to 20 years now that we've been collecting data, you know, we have thousands of hours of, of observation data, which which is extremely valuable to us. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, um, you know, from that side by side comparison here. Yeah. You know, a trail camera for two weeks out doing a trail camera survey. It's out for 24 hours a day. Right. But it's still, again, only two weeks. But um, the hunter in comparison is out varying times, but over the course of an entire hunting season with many, many hunters on a property, you get so many more hours 
than this survey. So your your time and your survey period and hours is probably greater at the end of the day than than your camera survey, um, just depending on that hunting pressure, I guess. But it gives you more time frames to survey, more deer interactions, behavior changes drastically from early season, the rut to late season. Um, so generally speaking, what is the fawn recruitment rate that you guys, if you had, if you had to average it out, what does that look like for you on your property? Well, um, I always use a run in three year average yep. um, from our hunting season to apply to our camera survey data to figure out how many fawns we likely have. So uh, over the last three years, we have seen about 0.7 fawns per doe mm-hmm. during hunting season. So uh, some years, you know, I would love to see that up as you know closer to one, yeah. but uh, that's tough. It's I mean, you have to be putting an incredible amount of fawns on the ground to uh, you know to have actually a one a fawn per doe uh, recruitment rate. Most people think it's really high because they think you know ah, does are having twins, but in reality, it's way way lower than that. Yeah, so definitely, I think our 0.7 fawns per doe um, is is very good it's not excellent but it's very good mm-hmm. um but uh, you have a copy of our camera survey data you can see here from the camera survey it only estimated 0.2 fawns per doe right. so right that's how different what our camera survey is estimating versus what's actually on the ground and uh, you know just because those fawns are just shying away from those those camera sites and i think i think you're definitely accurate on on the reasons why and i think everyone has to keep in mind that we're trying to survey wild free-ranging populations that yes there's predators on the landscape there's a ton of variables that kind of go into this so the multi um survey um technique is very important to do um because yeah point two you know that that's not accurate when mm. you're out there hunting like this, that's not make sense. But, but combining those two together, um, mm. it's certainly certainly accurate to, you know, trying to derive why that in the camera survey is, is much lower. Um, so uh, in, in the point seven, compare that to, I guess, a national average, it, it, would you say, I know some regions, South Carolina, Georgia, um, and, and many, many surveys has come back super low, but where does where does the point seven let's say fall across the landscape? That's actually pretty close to a national average, okay. and, uh, and you're right. There are some states that are you know point two or point three, which is really low numbers. But we keep a, a pretty close eye on that at QDMA and you know survey state wildlife agencies. So the the fawn recruitment rate has really dropped over the past two decades. Um, so from you know one or close to one anyway uh, and in many states over one down to a lot closer to that 0.7 number so mm-hmm. um so we we feel good with it um and i tell you for folks listening to think gosh you know i might want to do one of these but i don't really know how to interpret what 0.2 or 0.3 means i tell folks you know what do it because the real value in that is comparing that number to what it was last year and the year before so even though if you say you get 0.2 this year, that may not mean a lot to you. But if you look at the last few years, it was only 0.1. You're like, hey, this is going in the right direction. So yeah, that is the real value. And what I tell people, hey, just, just collect the data and you can just see how it changes over time. That's what's really letting you know whether things are getting better or not. And if they're not, then you just make changes uh, to, to make them so they can get better. Definitely, definitely. Um, so let, let's kind of go into the uh, – buck to doe ratio because i think there's a lot of 
oh gosh, misunderstandings, I guess, when it comes to that. So from this 2020 survey, we've got 26 individual bucks. And then with all the calculations, you figured 51 individual does. So two does to one buck. Where does that, again, let's, let's compare to a national average and, and a desired obtainable number. Where does that put you at um, across the board? Well, that puts us in a really good place. And um, this year, actually, we have, uh, we, we typically have fewer does per buck than this. The number, the, our numbers are usually a little tighter than this, mm-hmm. uh, but this is still a very healthy situation. Um, this doesn't mean that we're always going to see, you know, a buck for every two does, but the, the actual sex ratio is always a lot closer than what many hunters think. Right. Um, because it's not necessarily the observed sex ratio. You know, we, we always observe does at a higher rate than bucks anyway. You know, if the room you were in right now had two does and a buck in it, I'm sorry, let's say two does and two bucks, you still wouldn't see them at a, at a one-to-one rate. We, you know, it's just more <laughs> difficult to see bucks. Yeah, yeah. So anywhere, you know, we want to see balanced numbers. Fawns are born at about a 50-50 ratio of bucks and does. So we right. want to keep them balanced as adults. So, you know, anywhere around that, you know, one and a half to, to two and a half adult does per adult buck is a very, very healthy situation. So that, you know, yeah, it may mean you might see a lot more does than you do bucks, but um, that anywhere that is balanced around that is, is good for the deer. And then it's good for us as hunters. You hear people Kip, I'm sure you, you, you go all across the country, you, you speak at different events and whatnot. You, you talk to a lot of hunters out there, right? And so you, you hear people talking about, oh, I've got five does to one buck. I've got seven does to one buck. I guarantee it. Is that even possible? It's not. Well, let me right. say this. As, as long as those does are giving birth to fawns. <laughs> Uh, right. And it's not possible. Break because, that down for us right there because, I, again, I know there's people here saying, wait, wait, wait. I've heard that too. That doesn't make sense, guys. Tell, yeah. tell me, how is that not possible? Go ahead. So it doesn't mean that they can't see five or seven or, or even more does per buck, but uh, the actual true sex ratio can't get that unbalanced because every year – you have those buck fawns. Remember, all the fawns born, about half are buck fawns. Mm-hmm. So each year when they are recruited into that one-and-a-half-year-old age class, you have this huge influx on the buck side. So yes. there's an annual correction every year that keeps that actual sex ratio a lot closer than than we may observe or that people think. Um, but what I tell people is you know, they get so cranked up over the sex ratio. What is it? Is it two-to-one or what? And I tell people, you know, I almost don't even talk about that anymore. Because the sex ratio really doesn't matter that much regards uh, management or hunting. What's more important is the age structure of that. Sure. So, for example, you might have, say, a one-to-one ratio of those to bucks. But if all of the bucks are only one years old, that's not a very healthy situation. Compare that to, say, the data of mine that we just talked about where we estimate two adult does per adult buck. But the age structure on the buck side is, you know, we have – bucks and one two three four you know five mm-hmm. six plus you know age. so mm-hmm. people get too wrapped up in the sex ratio i tell them don't worry about that look more at what is the age structure that makes those up and as long as you have bucks and does in all age classes that's a good situation that's what you want and that's the thing that you want to correct if you don't have that now nah, that's a great great point i i, I think um people definitely 
misunderstanding, especially when they're hunting late season. They feel they see a field full of deer. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's only four bucks on the field. Well, you know, half of those fawns that you're seeing out there, those are all bucks. And and from your data this year, 38% of of your um your bucks were all year and a half old deer. So those were all fawns last year, late season. You could have observed and say, wow, it looks like I'm out of whack. But, but truthfully in the field, like male versus female, it's not that way. And you're recruiting them all into that year and a half old stage. Um, so like I said, there's, there's that balance all every single year that goes back into it. Um, but 100% agree on the age structure. And that's what we've hopefully been painting that picture for people of, you know, the more deer that you get into the age class of three and a half and older, well, you're increase you're just only increasing the probability of of seeing, observing, encountering, harvesting those deer. So I think there's a lot of a lot of areas where the age structure just simply is not present on the landscape for people to observe and see and have these encounters of of older age class deer i mean i know that's changed drastically you guys do the annual the whitetail report every single year and there's some states whose annual harvest uh, i think like arkansas mississippi are just really great with with three and a half and older deer but there's other portions or, or regions within certain states that and it's just it's drastically lower um so just the 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 age structure of bucks on the landscape has so much more to do with what you see and what your chances are um, than many other factors. What what is it you would tell someone, Kip, who says, "Hey, I've I've got you know one to two bucks who are three or four every single year." I'm wanting to harvest more deer. And we're, we're talking um, habitat as well as herd numbers. And they say, I've got a couple couple bucks, three and a half and older. or And I've got a, a lot of does. I've got closed canopy timber. I've got some food plots. Generally speaking, just quick generalization. What are you going to tell them from an improvement standpoint, both herd and habitat? I will say shoot more does <laughs> and the reason for that and some there are definitely places where deer herds are very low and, and you know you just can't shoot many right. but in most environments you can enhance your buck hunting by shooting some more doe and uh, and i would give you an example from our place um, we have over the last uh, i guess 18 years now because we started collecting data in 02 uh, we have shot 299 deer so uh, I, I hope myself or one of my kids shoots the next one so we get number 300 on them. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But, so basically we've shot 300 deer, and over the course of that time, our ratio is for every buck we shoot, we've shot five antlerless deer. Some of those have been fawns, but yeah. most adult does. So what has given us better buck hunting than anything else, obviously, is we, we have protected young bucks, so we have good age structure. Yep. But the fact that we have given those bucks that we allow to get a little older – enough food to eat is what really makes the difference. Absolutely. So our, our buck hunting would not be anywhere nearly as good today if we would have only shot, say, 200 deer, you know, shot 100 less does. Yeah. Every, so that, and I mean, and I understand that some people don't want to shoot does or they're not sure. Well, 
collecting some data is the one thing that can give you, you know, a little more confidence and, oh yeah, this is a good thing. But uh, in all honesty, you know, after we protect some of those younger bucks, as far as seeing deer do what they can do, you know, both body size and antler wise, um, shooting does and convincing our neighbors to shoot does has, uh, has been, or has helped us more than, uh, than anything else uh, hunting related. Man, that's awesome. That, I mean, that, that right there paints the perfect picture that we've been trying to get uh, across to, to listeners and the audience here. Um, it is just the emphasis of relying, going back to the foundation principles of QDM and not forgetting about the antlerless harvest. You're, you're killing five does to every one buck over the course of many, many years. Um, and, and that's just solid boots on the ground, let's say, real numbers that you guys are applying and reaping the rewards from that. But you mentioned two two things I kind of want to hit on there, um, and that is overall um, size, body size of the bucks, as well as um, antler size, too. Can you kind of talk just observation-wise what you guys have seen in that department? And, and truthfully, too, I guess, we, we shouldn't count out the does from, from body size as well. And that increase you guys have seen over the years, what does that look like? Uh, no, we definitely have seen an improvement and I'll say this, uh, we are not maxed out by any means. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we still have a lot to gain, you know, if we would reduce deer numbers more, um, we, we could get even bigger gains than body size and antlers. So we have found there's, you know, a fine line between having, you know, enough deer for really enjoyable hunting experiences. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if we say cut our deer herd in half, we would get a jump again in antler size and body weight. So there's no doubt. Right. But we said, you know what, we will sacrifice some of that to be able to see a few more deer while we're hunting. Absolutely. And it's a cool thing about managing deer is, you know, you, you have the choice to do that. We can have lower numbers and everybody be bigger or you know you can have big numbers and everybody is small um we mm-hmm. prefer to be uh, you know not exactly in the middle of that we are at the upper end of that for sure but uh um we have measurable differences you know just in body weights and you know and, and in antlers that we see over the years um so just because of, of providing more food and, and we provide that more food by working hard on the habitat and we provide that more food by just removing some of the animals that are there. So there's, there's fewer mouths competing for it. Absolutely. No, that's, that's awesome. So Kip, when you're looking at, um, your data, what generally is your deer per square mile value? And, and I think it's what 640 acres is a square mile. Um, what, wh- where do you guys fall out there on that, on that spectrum? See, that, that is right. 640 acres a square mile. We have a lot of deer. <laughs> There's a bunch. And, uh, you know, so what, if you went straight by the numbers of deer we have, you know, mm-hmm. most people, or at least most foresters would say, oh, there's uh, the forest has got to be unhealthy. You can't regenerate. Um, because we, uh, we very easily have 50 or more deer per square mile. Yeah. Um, based on our camera survey, based on a, a pellet survey that I do every yep. spring, just, I mean, we, we have, I'm very confident that now the reason that uh, we had that many is because at the same time we are regenerating oak trees like crazy. Yeah. And our, uh, we monitor that very closely. And our forester tells us, you know, man, you are the poster child for oak regeneration in Pennsylvania. Nice. And I am extremely proud of that. Now we have, we were able to do that because we do a lot of work in the woods, mm-hmm. so it's a lot of habitat work. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, you know, we do shoot a bunch of does each year. So today, the numbers of deer we have are 
a reflection of all of the habitat work we've done um, as much as anything. And we didn't always have that many. There's years we've had fewer than that, particularly when we started really shooting a bunch to try to get the deer herd under control. But, uh, you know, as you enhance habitat, you know, you get, you attract more deer, you can recruit more deer. Absolutely. So, so then there's a balancing act of, all right, let's keep that work. But at the same time, let's not get, you know, lazy and not shoot enough deer. Cause there are some years that, you know, if you say you're shooting five does a year and that's good, if all of a sudden you increase the habitat a bunch, you are going to attract more deer. So suddenly that five deer a year may not be enough to keep you, you know, where you want to be. You may have to shoot more than that, which I like to shoot deer and I kind of hang around with people like to shoot deer. So that's, that's, not, that's not a bad thing for us. Kip, Kip's like, Hey, I'm here for the invite guys. <laughs> well, I think mean, that's, that's 100% the, the reason why we're, we're trying to beat this dead horse of, of herd management is because we talk so much about habitat. And if, if we, if we didn't talk about this aspect of it, all we would be doing is just blowing up deer herds. And I, I love to shoot deer too. I, I'm a huge fan of that. And I like to see deer, you know, observe them while I'm in the tree stand. But I know at the same time, a lot of people listening also are wanting, you know, balanced um, age structures and bucks. But the the quality that that four and a half, five and a half age, they are wanting that. So doe harvest with, with the increase of habitat and the improved habitat, you're going to have an influx of just deer numbers. So we have to, we have to manage that um, in, in the same, in the same way we're managing habitat. We just got to do it. We just got to get that deer number down into a right balance with the actual habitat that you have, the carrying capacity to see these improvements in in the quality of bucks. So I guess if if you were to paint, I guess, um, the the best picture for people, um, is is there like a, a region or somewhere you've had experience in hunting and or managing that you're like, if I could take this area, um, it's it's balance of maybe ag, balance of tim- managed timber, um, cover, and age structure. Like where where is that? It, or I guess like, is there a place you've you haven't hunted that you're like, I know based on the data that that area and habitat is awesome. Uh, the neat thing is today there's so many people that are actively managing deer habitat that mm-hmm. you see good hunting opportunities and very healthy deer herds throughout the whitetails range. And Absolutely. that's very, very, very different from, you know, certainly two decades ago and still pretty different from a decade ago. So that is really cool. Um, if you talk about them as a region, though, uh, the mid-Atlantic region year in and year out shoots more deer per square mile than, than any other. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty fun place to hunt. I, I live in that region, so I like it. I'm, I'm a big fan of a mix of, of woods and open areas. Sure. So the mid Atlantic region is just always one of the, the most productive regions for deer. Um, obviously the Midwest has the allure of, Oh, you know, big deer and, and some of the biggest deer in the world come out of there. So that's something that's always very alluring too. Um, I tell you, I, I grew up in northern Pennsylvania with a nice mix of woods and, and, and fields and, and ag. Um, I, I worked in central Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just back up. I, I went to grad school and then worked in New Hampshire. That yep. was almost all forested. I love the woods, but the, that was too forested for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, I, yeah. I, I worked in central Florida. That was almost all open. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a great time there, and I loved the habitat, but 
that was a little too open for me. So uh, um, I really enjoy the mix of woods and, and openness, but of, you know, in my travels, um, it is, I'm convinced that where the vast majority of deer hunters prefer, it's some type of habitat or some type of vegetation cover that's pretty similar to, to where they grew up or at least yeah. where they started hunting. Yeah. So you talk to people from the Midwest, you know, they don't want to be anywhere else, even outside of, you know, big deer and all that. They sure. just want those open areas. Um, but if you talk to somebody from the upper Midwest, say, you know, uh, northern Michigan or the UP, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know they, they're not looking for all these wide open areas either. You know? So I think it's so tied culturally to, to what you cut your teeth on. Or, yeah. um, I love to go out west hunting, and, uh, and I hope I can do it a lot more. And I am so excited to get there, but I am always ready to come home when those hunts are over because it's just, you know, it's not nearly as green as the East <laughs> and, right, it, you know, right. I, and I miss it. You know, I love to see the Aspens and, and all that. And I get there, I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. But after about three days, I'm like, man, I sure would like to see something besides yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You've, you spent time. So, I, I may be wrong on this. Is it North Dakota or South Dakota out there kind of hunting the prairies and, and the drainages? Yeah, that's right. North Dakota. Okay. So, yep. I've hunted, I've had the, the great fortune to hunt North Dakota several times. Uh, I love that. Um, you know, it's very different from back east. So uh, I think it's cool to hunt something different. Um, everything is so much farther away than it is in, yeah, in the east, yeah. which which is is a nice. Uh, it's fun to do that. It's different. So yeah, I've I've been blessed to, to hunt several different places, and I love them all. But uh, I guess uh, I enjoy most kind of you know how I grew up with that. I, I definitely prefer a mix of, uh, of woods and open areas. I, I'd have to agree. I, I'm from the mid-Atlantic originally, so that mixture of uh, whether it's pasture, crop fields, and timber, that, that's kind of where I uh, I find home from, from the deer side of things. But, um, Kip, I, I really appreciate you being just so open and transparent with um, the data that you have collected on your family's property um, over the course of this time and then sharing that with us. I think there's so many valuable lessons that everyone now has the opportunity to learn. And so um, certainly appreciate that that transparency and coming on the mm-hmm. podcast with your time today too. Um, I, th- I think it's great. I think, I think uh, people are certainly going to learn a lot from it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, it's always good to talk with you. Definitely, sir. Well, best of luck to you guys this season. Uh, I know you guys open up in, in Pennsylvania um, in the next month or so, and I believe you are headed south to Maryland here this weekend with your son. So best of luck to you guys in the hunting adventures here this fall. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. A little road trip with my young son. Uh, that's going to be cool. Um, good luck to you and Adam. Uh, Appreciate uh, it. Keep me posted uh, with some of the the, the cool pictures you get over the year. Uh, I'll do the same, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Absolutely, sir. Appreciate it. Take take care. All right, Matt. You have a good day. Well, I told you. I told you it's going to be a good podcast. Um, Kip, as expected, knocked it out of the park. Um, Just brought to life real information, real data that he and um, his hunters on his property have collected. Certainly love the the transparency that Kip has um, 
and just the, the knowledge that he's able to bring to the table um, and, and represent QDMA, um, but also just be a hunter, just like you and I, and, and, and um, share his farm with kids, with other hunters. I mean, that's fantastic. Pennsylvania has a humongous hunting, tra- hunting tradition. He's, he's doing um, certainly his part in carrying that on. And so love to hear that. Um, but one of the big takeaways in the course of recording 300 deer harvested, one buck to every five does. Can you say the same for yourself? And I'm not saying that that's necessary in your property, but if you have a herd that's similar to Kips or you desire a herd similar to Kips, the starting point is, is different for everybody. But do you have those types of records? Do you have that information that can um, you can lean back on? and learn from? Are you trying to um, increase the number of older age class deer? From from a age class standpoint, are, are you having 40% of your bucks and year and a half old deer? And maybe 30% two and a half, 20% in three and a half, 10 and 10 in the four and a half and five and a half? How do you know? Are you guys quantifying that? Um, a lot of good points. A lot, a lot of good points, guys. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, but first, I want to thank, before we end this podcast, First Light, awesome wool-based hunting clothes. I've been wearing them. It's been warm here in September, 80 degrees, some days down in the 70s. But um, even during those warmer temperatures early season, we're wearing wool and we're staying pretty cool. So that's... Um, Definitely something for you guys to look into. Um, check it out. Firstlight.com. They've got stuff from early season to late season, everything in between. Love the layering um, capability and options there within the, the within the lineup. If, if you're someone who's wanting to try it, here's what I would say. Try the layers. 100% get the wool against the skin. Try the layers first and then build out the system from there. Um, Got to stay warm to hunt longer. Stay warm with wool in the late season, middle season, but get the wool closer to the skin. So start with the layers and then work outward um, if you're getting into the game. So check out firstlight.com. You won't be disappointed. But guys, thank you again so much for for following along, for being a part of the podcast. Um, hope those real numbers were exactly what you're looking for and needing to take your hunting season turn into herd management season and um, really improve the overall age structure and herd dynamics there on your property where you manage because although habitat is certainly important, you can 100% make gains by managing the herd itself. So if you're on a lease property, this is talking directly to you where you may not be able to do a lot of habitat management, but trigger control, um, Surveying techniques is 100% doable, feasible, and should be applied. So, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Yeah.